0: Chapter 1, Book 5 of Rookwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Paul Curran. Rookwood by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book 5, The Oath. It was an ill oath, better broke than kept. The laws of nature and of nations do dispense with matters of divinity in such a case. Tatum Chapter One The Hut on Thorn Waste Hind Are all our horses and our arms in safety? Furbo They feed like Pluto's palfreys underground. Our pistols, swords, and other furniture are safely locked up at our rendezvous. Prince of Prigs Revels The hut on Thorn Waste, to which we have before incidentally alluded, and whither we are now about to repair, was a low, lone hovel, situate on the banks of the deep and oozy don, at the eastern extremity of that extensive moor. Ostensibly, its owner fulfilled the duties of ferryman to that part of the river, but as the road which skirted his tenement was little frequented, his craft was, for the most part, allowed to sleep undisturbed in her moorings.' In reality, however, he was the inland agent of a horde of smugglers who infested the neighbouring coast. His cabin was their rendezvous, and not unfrequently, it was said, the depository of their contraband goods. Conky Jem, so was he called by his associates, on account of the Slauchenbergian promontory which decorated his countenance, had been an old hand at the same trade, but having returned from a seven years' leave of absence from his own country— procured by his lawless life, now managed matters with more circumspection and prudence, and had never since been detected in his former illicit traffic. Nor, though so marvellously gifted in that particular himself, was he ever known to nose upon any of his accomplices, or, in other words, to betray them. On the contrary, his hut was a sort of asylum for all fugitives from justice." and although the sanctity of his walls would, in all probability, have been little regarded, had anyone been detected within them, yet, strange to say, even if a robber had been tracked, as it often chanced, to Jem's immediate neighbourhood, all traces of him were sure to be lost at the ferryman's hut, and further search was useless. Within, the hut presented such an appearance as might be expected from its owner's pursuits, and its own unpromising exterior. Consisting of little more than a couple of rooms, the rude whitewashed walls exhibited, in lieu of prints of more pretension, a gallery of choicely illustrated ballads, celebrating the exploits of various highwaymen, renowned in song, amongst which our friend Dick Turpin figured conspicuously upon his sable steed, Bess being represented by a huge rampant black patch, and Dick with a pistol considerably longer than the arm that sustained it. Next to this curious collection was a drum net, a fishing-rod, a landing-net, an eel-spear, and other piscatorial apparatus, with a couple of skulls and a boat-hook, indicative of Jem's ferryman's office, suspended by various hooks, the whole blackened and begrimed by peat-smoke, there being no legitimate means of exit permitted to the vapour generated by the turf-covered hearthstone. The only window, indeed, in the hut was to the front. The back apartment, which served Jem for dormitory, had no aperture whatever for the admission of light, except such as was afforded through the door of the communication between the rooms. A few broken rush-bottomed chairs, with a couple of dirty tables, formed the sum total of the ferryman's furniture. Notwithstanding the grotesque effect of his exaggerated nasal organ, Jem's aspect was at once savage and repulsive. His lank black hair hung about his inflamed visage in wild elf locks. The animal predominating throughout. His eyes were small, red, and wolfish, and glared suspiciously from beneath his scarred and tufted eyebrows, while certain of his teeth projected, like the tusks of a boar, from out his coarse-lipped sensual mouth. Dwarfish in stature, and deformed in person, Jem was built for strength, and what with his width of shoulder and shortness of neck, his figure looked as square and as solid as a cube. His throat and her shoot chest, constantly exposed to the weather, had acquired a glowing tan, while his arms, uncovered to the shoulders and clothed with fur like a bear's hide, down almost to the tips of his fingers, presented a knot of folded muscles, the concentrated force of which few would have desired to encounter in action. It was now on the stroke of midnight, and Jem, who had been lying extended upon the floor of his hovel, suddenly aroused by that warning impulse which never fails to awaken one of his calling, at the exact moment when they require to be upon the alert, now set about fanning into flame the expiring fuel upon his hearth. Having succeeded in igniting further portions of the turf, Jem proceeded to examine the security of his door and window, and satisfied that the lock and bolt were shot, and that the shutter was carefully closed, he kindled a light at his fire and walked towards his bedroom. But it was not to retire for the night that the ferryman entered his dormitory. Beside his crazy couch stood a litter of empty bottles and a beer cask, crowding the chamber. The latter he rolled aside, and pressing his foot upon the plank beneath it, the board gave way, and a trap-door opening discovered a ladder, conducting, apparently, into the bowels of the earth. Jem leaned over the abyss and called in hoarse accents to someone below. An answer was immediately returned and the light became soon afterwards visible at the foot of the ladder. Two figures next ascended. The first who set foot within the ferryman's chamber was Alan Rookwood. The other, as the reader may perhaps conjecture, was his grandson. Is it the hour? asked Luke as he sprang from out the trap door. Aye, replied Jem with a coarse laugh.
1: "'Or oh, I had
0: not disturbed you myself to call you. "'But maybe,' added he, softening his manner a little, you like some refreshments before you start. "'A stoop of nance will put you in queue for the job. Huh? "'Not I,' replied Luke, "'who could ill-tolerate his companion's familiarity. "'Give me to drink,' said Alan, "'walking feebly towards the fire "'and extending his skinny fingers before it, "'I'm chilled by the damps of that swampy cave. "'The natural heat within me is nigh extinguished.' "'Here is that shall put fresh marrow into your old bones,' returned Jem, "'handing him a tumbler of brandy. "'Never stint it. "'I'll be sworn you'll be the better on't, "'for you look desperate queer man about the mazard.' Alan was, in sooth, a ghastly spectacle. "'The events of the last few days had wrought a fearful change.' His countenance was almost exanimate, and when, with shaking hand and trembling lips, he had drained the fiery potion to the dregs, a terrible grimace was excited upon his features, such as is produced upon the corpse by the action of the galvanic machine. Even Jem regarded him with a sort of apprehension. After he had taken a breath for a moment, Alan broke out into a fit of wild and immoderate laughter. "'Why, I," said he, "'this is indeed to grow young again.' "'and to feel fresh fire within one's veins. "'Who would have thought so much of life and energy "'could reside in this little vessel? "'I am myself once more, "'and not the same soulless, pulseless lump of clay "'I was a moment or two back. "'The damps of that den had destroyed me, "'and the solitude, the waking dreams I've had, "'the visions, horrible. "'I will not think of them. "'I'm better now, ready to execute my plans. "'Your plans, I should say, grandson Luke. "'Are our horses in readiness?' "'Why do we tarry? The hour is arrived, "'and I would not that my new-blown courage "'should evaporate me ere the great work "'for which I live be accomplished. "'That done, I ask no further stimulant. "'Let us away.' "'We tarry but for Turpin,' said Luke. "'I am as impatient as yourself. "'I fear some mischance must have befallen him. "'Or he would have been true to his appointment. "'Do you not think so?' he added, "'addressing the ferryman. "'Why?' replied Jem reluctantly. "'Since you put it home to me, "'I can't conceal it no longer. "'I'll tell you what I didn't tell her for, "'for fear you should be down in the mouth about it. "'Dick Turpin can do nothing for you. "'He's grabbed.' "'Turpin apprehended?' ejaculated Luke. "'Aye,' returned Jem. "'I learnt from a farmer who crossed the ferry at nightfall "'that he were grabbed this morning at York, "'after having ridden his famous cherry-coloured Pratt to death. "'That's what hurts me more, not all the rest.' Though I fear Dick will scarce cheat the nubbing cheat, this go. It's time's up, I calculate. Will you supply his place and accompany us? asked Luke of the ferryman. No, no, replied Jem, shaking his head. There's too much risk and too little profit in the business for me. It won't pay. And what might tempt you to undertake the enterprise? asked Alan. More than you have to offer, Master Peter, replied Jem who had not been enlightened upon the subject of Alan's real name or condition. "'How do you know that?' demanded Alan. "'Name your demand.' "'Well, then, I'll not say but a hundred pounds, if you had it, might bribe me.' "'To your part with your soul to the devil, I doubt not,' said Luke, fiercely stamping the ground. "'Let us be gone. We need not this mercenary aid. We'll do without him.' "'Stay,' said Alan. "'You shall have the hundred "'provided you will assure us of your services.' "'Could no more blarney wins, Master Sexton,' replied Jem in a gruff tone. "'If I'm to go, I must have the chink down. "'And that's more nor either of you can do, I'm thinking.' "'Give me your purse,' whispered Alan to his grandson. "Ja," oh, continued he, "'do your hesitate. This man can do much for us. "'Think upon Eleanor and be prudent. "'You cannot accomplish your task unaided.' Taking the amount from the purse, he gave it to the ferryman, adding, If we succeed, the sum shall be doubled, and now let us set out. During Alan's speech, Jem's sharp eyes had been fastened upon the purse, while he mechanically clutched the banknotes which were given to him. He could not remove his gaze, but continued staring at the treasure before him, as if he would willingly, by force, have made it all his own. Alan saw the error he had committed in exposing the contents of the purse to the avaricious ferryman and was about to restore it to Luke when the bag was suddenly snatched from his grasp and himself leveled by a blow upon the floor. Conky Jem found the temptation irresistible. Knowing himself to be a match for both his companions and imagining he was secure from interruption, he conceived the idea of making away with them and possessing himself of their wealth. No sooner had he disposed of Alan than he assailed luke who met his charge half way with the vigor and alacrity of the latter the reader is already acquainted but he was no match for the herculean strength of the double-jointed ferryman who with the ferocity of the boar he so much resembled thus furiously attacked him nevertheless as may be imagined he was not disposed to yield up his life tamely he saw at once the villain's murderous intentions and well aware of his prodigious power would not have risked a close struggle could he have avoided it snatching the eel spear from the wall he had hurled it at the head of his adversary but without effect in the next instant he was locked in a clasp terrible as that of a polar bear In spite of all his struggles, Luke was speedily hurled to the ground, and Jem, who had thrown himself upon him, was apparently searching about for some weapon to put a bloody termination to the conflict. When the trampling of a horse was heard at the door, three taps were repeated slowly, one after the other, and the call resounded from a whistle. "'Damnation!' ejaculated Jem gruffly. "'Interrupted!' and he seemed irresolute, slightly altering his position on Luke's body. The moment was fortunate for Luke, and, in all probability, saved his life. He extricated himself from the ferryman's grasp, regained his feet, and, what was more of importance, the weapon he had thrown away. "'Villain!' cried he, about to plunge the spear with all his force into his enemy's side. "'You shall—' The whistle was again heard without. "'Don't you hear that?' cried Jem.
1: "'Tis Turpin's
0: call!' "'Turpin!' echoed Luke, dropping the point of his weapon— "'Unbar the door, you treacherous rascal, and admit him!' "'Well, say no more about it, Sir Luke,' said Jem, fawningly. "'I knows I owes you my life, and I thank you for it. "'Take back the lure. "'He should not have shown it me. "'It was that as did all the mischief.' "'Unbar the door and parley not,' said Luke, contemptuously. "'Jem complied with pretended alacrity, but real reluctance,' casting suspicious glances at Luke as he withdrew the bolts, the door at length being opened, haggard, exhausted, and covered with dust, Dick Turpin staggered into the hut. "'Well, I'm here,' said he, with a hollow laugh. "'I've kept my word. I've been damnably put to it, but here I am!' Ha <laughs> ha And he sank upon one of the stools. "'We heard you were apprehended,' said Luke. "'I'm glad to find the information was... false,' added he, glancing angrily at the ferryman. "'Whoever told you that told you a lie, Sir Luke,' replied Dick. "'But what are you scowling at, old Charon, and you, Sir Luke? "'Why do you glower at each other? Make fast the door. Bolt it, Cerebrus. "'Right, now give me a glass of brandy, and then I'll talk. A bumper. So, another. "'What's that I see? A dead man? Old Peter? Alan, I mean?' "'Has anything happened to him that he has taken his measure there so quietly?' "'Nothing, I trust,' said Luke, stooping to raise up his grandsire. "'The blow has stunned him.' "'The blow?' repeated Turpin. "'What? There has been a quarrel, then. "'I thought as much from your amiable looks at each other. "'Come, come, we must have no differences. "'Give the old earthworm a taste of this. "'I'll engage you will bring him to fast enough. "'Aye, rub his temples with it if you'd rather.' But it's a better remedy down the gullet, the natural course. And hark ye gem, search your crib quickly, and see if you have any grub within it, and any more bub in the cellar. I'm as hungry as a hunter and as thirsty as a camel End of Chapter one Book five